What's been the most difficult conversation that you've had with your parents regarding your footballing career? The hardest conversation was, it was I was never the standout player in any of my squads. We were playing at home and I took a shot in the warm-up. Absolutely no chance. I couldn't even run. I've left the impression in Wales that I was an unfit player and... And anyone that knows me would never describe me as an unfit player. I feel like I'm a professional footballer that wasn't meant to be a professional footballer. I've definitely heard of incidents of players that are only in certain clubs because of their parent being a sponsor or um, their agents having agreements with the players. Overthinking and being too concerned about things is something that has affected me for a really long time. The worst piece of advice I've ever been told was when I was... Uh, younger. Welcome to the Amateur Football YouTube channel, uh, the Stoppage Time Penalty Show. Uh, as you can see, we are here in a different environment. Um, everyone likes the kind of physical meetups. And uh, I have the pleasure of having Jose Ferreira on the sofa. <laughs> how, you, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing very good, Sabrice. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for having me today. And uh, I'm really excited for it. You know, it's the, the first time we're finally <laughs> meeting time. after all the time. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, again, uh, I've got a lot to talk about. But yeah, let's, let's um, kind of go straight, straight into it. Your first footballing memory. Um, I'd first yeah. footballing memory. Playing or watching? Both. Uh, yeah, actually, both, actually. Both. both yeah. Okay. Watching, uh, so my dad took me to the Sporting Lisbon game and I very vaguely remember, it's still the old stadium, so this is pre-Euro 2004. Uh, so we had like these Olympic, you know, the Olympic logo from the Olympics in the, the back and that's where we sat, ju literally just below them. And that's my first footballing memory. I cannot remember the game, but this must have been probably about 2002. I think it was about four. Um, so I'm very, it's like quite vivid of uh, of the atmosphere there so that's my first um i mean i was still young i used to take my like my toy cars and everything to the game my dad had to keep me engaged keep me distracted i think my attention span probably lasted the first 45 minutes but but yeah that was my first uh my first memory and i was a regular at that, at that stadium even the new stadium as well with my dad still got my season ticket at sporting lisbon as well i mean obviously it's a lot more difficult to make games now but it's uh, a big part of my childhood playing wise so I remember being very young and um, I was up at my school and I, I remember seeing a group of kids playing football in my school. So it was like a, like a, it was like a football club. It was, you know, it was kick, kids kick about that type of stuff. And I remember walking past and watching it and thinking, oh, I, I want to join this. But I remember the majority of the, the kids playing that were like older age groups as well. I think it must have been maybe year, year two or year three maybe and uh, or maybe everyone was a lot older probably in the year six year five year four category but um but yeah my, my parents got me signed up and um, that's how i kicked the ball for the first couple of times and it's good memories obviously i played with my dad i played with uh played with friends as well and even on my own and it's my, my young memories of uh of of playing football mm. and um you've like mentioned like dad especially i mean how important has I'd say has your dad been and your parents been in terms of your kind of footballing journey? Yeah, my parents have uh, they've been a massive influence on it. I think um, they obviously gave me the opportunity to play football when I was younger. If it wasn't up to them, you know, driving me to games and uh, driving me to training and you know, obviously 
registration fees, all the all the sorts of stuff that comes with playing football. They were a big part of it. Without them, I would have never done it. When it came to to playing professionally, uh, my dad always wanted me to follow the education path and not exactly the football path. So we had to find like a nice balance um, throughout my career where university was still a part of it and maybe that meant playing semi-pro instead of going to another country and playing full-time. It was uh, it was about keeping that balance of education and playing. And I've managed to do that even throughout school. School was always a priority until a certain point where, you know, I was more independent and then I could make football the priority and that was my decision. It was my risk to take. But um Obviously, I would have never been able to do anything that I've done, even go to Finland, even that. We obviously get into that later on, but even that wouldn't have been able, a bit like possible for me without my parents and their support. So oh. definitely a major, a major part of my career. I'm very grateful for them as well. And um, are you the only sibling? What, um, what's the family? Dad? Um, I have a half brother and half sister. So they're both living in America now. Um, they have been there for a really long time. There's a big age gap between us. I was, I pretty much grew up as a, a, a like an only child in the household as my, my siblings had moved on. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. And um, do you like still um, talk to your half brother and sister? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I spoke to my sister um, actually around Christmas as well. My brothers just visited Portugal not long ago as well. Uh, I'm still in touch with them. You know, I've got my nephews, my nephews as well. I'm in touch with them. Well, um, my young, on my brother's side, he's a bit younger, but... I'm in touch with my John uh, on my sister's side as well, and uh, we, you know we keep, we keep in touch. Obviously, the distance uh, makes things quite difficult. I do plan to go visit them at some point. I wanted to go for my nephew's graduation, but COVID kind of cancelled all of that. Mm. You know, cancelled a lot of our plans for a couple of years. So, but we're still we're still we're still in touch. Definitely, they're, I think they're coming in March now, and it's in the plans of obviously depending on the season that potentially going back and catching up with everyone again. Mm what's what's been the most difficult conversation that you've had with your parents regarding your footballing career? Ooh, uh, I think um, the hardest conversation was uh, them, like getting it through to them that this is something I want to risk. And I say risk because you never know what's going to happen in football. You never know when it's going to end. You know, uh, you, you're just always one... Like especially the way I play, you're always one bad tackle away from everything ending. So I understand their side that they wanted me to follow education and uh, have that you know that plan for if things go wrong. But obviously, it was quite it was difficult difficult to get it through to them that this is something important to me as well. It's something that I really want to do. It's something that I really want to risk doing. So I think it's a right it's always a difficult conversation and i think we still have difficult conversations at every point you know going to finland um under like getting it getting it through them that that was something important to me as well that was a difficult conversation as well and uh it i think it was the, the that was the main one it was just them understanding the the importance of it to me and how much it means to me to to be able to pursue it mm. Um, so, so with your journey from, I'd say from, um, going into your teens, when did you know, hmm, you know, I, I kind of have a bit of a special talent for this. Let me kind of double down on, on this ability that I have to actually play football. Uh, 
it wasn't it wasn't even my teens it was uh <laughs> wow it was really it was a really late decision um so when i came over to england i think that was the and i, I did that i came over 17 turning 18 that was the point that i knew okay this is what i want to do there's no nothing that will you know nothing else i want to do that i i see this is the closest i've been and at that point so i i think 18 is when i decided this is this is a bit of me <laughs> yeah. this is my special talent when i was i obviously as a younger player in my in the youth ages i did i did stand out but it was, i was never the standout player in any of my squads okay i was a a good player in the team but there was always someone who everyone said, oh, he's going to be a professional footballer. He's going places. And I'm, I look back into it now and I'm the only one that still plays professionally today. It's, uh, I, uh, I survived the filter, I guess. But um, I think 18 is the, the key point for me where I'd say, you know, this is, this, I'm going to be a professional footballer. And at, that, at the age of 18, what, what did you see? Or what did you feel for you to make that jump? It was when I when I came to to England, I just I saw opportunity. Uh, I looked around and there's so many like non-league teams, so many semi-pro teams. There was academies under twenty threes, and at the time Portugal's when I came over to England, Portugal didn't have the under twenty three league yet. So you were an under nineteen and then straight into a first team. And um, if you weren't at Sporting Benfica, Porto, Braga, Guimarães. If you're not playing at that under 19s level, you're it's very difficult for you to to make it professionally. Um, you'll probably get if you're playing at those teams in the academy level, you'll probably get filtered into the League Three at the time, maybe League Two with a bit of luck. Very hard to progress into the Portuguese Premier League with the, the amount of foreign players in the country. But for me, I was only playing at district level as well, so I'm like the equivalent of an amateur team because we only have the amateur and the professional. And um, it was in Portugal, it was difficult for me to see the opportunity to progress. Hmm. But when I came here, I saw so much opportunity. And um, I knew automatically at the level that I was that I would be able to find something at semi-pro. And then it's just a matter of building on that and step by step. And that's how I, I focus on it. You know you know how people take games, game like seasons, game by game. I did that before my career. I took every season by season, step by step, just pushing myself every year to go as far as I can. And uh, that's what's helped me. Every year, it's my personal objective to take a step up. So, and that's how I faced it throughout the last couple of years. And you play as a right back. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> you yes. know, I didn't say. I, I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think anyone wants to grow up to be a right back. I don't know. I loved it. So, um, I started as a striker. Okay. Uh, and then got moved to winger because I was quite fast. And luckily, I managed to maintain that as well. But uh, I remember once when I was in my first year of under 19s. Oh, actually, for my school team, I started. I, I played right back occasionally as well, uh, because just of the style we played, it meant you know, I was going to get a lot more of the ball as a, as a fullback bombing forward. Uh, basically, and uh, my actual team, so actual competitive football, I played um, mainly winger. And then our right backs had an injury. And because I was already playing for the school team, I said, oh, it doesn't really make much sense me playing one position in one team and then another position in the other team. I said, I'll just play fullback for both teams and I can focus and just master it. So it was one way, it was just basically me thinking, okay, this is going to give me the best chance of um, 
of like dominating this position and playing full time if I understand it completely. So I didn't want to have to like understand the ba one way of playing in one position and then the other one. It was just, I, th I thought it was better to just focus on one. So that's what I did. I focused on right back after my, my teammate suffered an injury and I stayed right back ever since. And actually it wasn't the under 19s, it was under 17s. That's what it was that I moved to right back and I've sort of not moved since. So the last couple of seasons, uh, so when I, in 2019-20, uh, when I was playing non-league, when we were losing, I'd occasionally get moved to right winger so they could hit long balls yeah. for me. And then eventually it just became a permanent thing that I was just playing right winger. When I went to Finland as well, I did get used as right winger quite a few times. And it, to be honest, it's a, I absolutely love the position. Um, it's I'd be quite happy to play right back or right winger or left winger as well, cutting in as well, playing inside, giving space for the left back. So I'm pretty flexible. I, I do prefer the wing back and wing. Definitely. So I'm pretty versatile though. <laughs> okay. So when you moved to the UK at the age of 18, um, can you kind of talk about the like process from you moving and then going to a team in Wales? Yeah. So um, I moved to England in 2016. Um, and that was my first taste of English football. After that season in 2016-17, when I first moved to, to Liverpool, I was living in Liverpool, and um, I went into uni there. Going into university there obviously took up a lot of my time, which meant that I would have to pursue non-league football. So I played non-league football between 2017 and 2020 when I graduated. And I can I ask what you graduated? So I graduated from Liverpool John Moyes University with a sports business degree. Um, I do have a master's as well from King's College London in marketing. That's just finished online while I was in, in Finland. But um, sports business was between those years while I was playing non-league. When I finished the, the season, first season in Liverpool, I did have the chance to go play full-time. So um, I trialed that couple of clubs in England and had the chance to go back to Portugal and play. But then this is where education came in. You know, it was the agreement with my dad, I'd go into education and then I could try football. Uh, I, one way, one way I do think about it. And I think, you know, I, if I started playing in the third league in Portugal, 18, maybe I could have had so many more opportunities, but at the same time, you don't know what could happen. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe those years in non-league shaped me as a player, made me stronger, you know, made me understand football a bit better. Maybe that's what, led to today but when i finished in uh, uni then i went to the portuguese third league that was my first professional full-time season um massive experience for me massive learning experience it was i think another moment that changed everything for me and uh, we got promoted at the end of the season as well uh, just being around that team was really good for me learning wise i was managed by Tose Mareco, who's a portuguese football legend striker scored goals for fun absolutely talented player and as a person he, he was a very important manager for me as well he's, he's taught me a lot throughout the year taught me a lot about football and a big part of how i ended up in wales wales represented a big opportunity for me because it was the you know the welsh premier league it was a chance for, for me it was a chance to play a premier league and potentially go into europe so it's always been a big goal of mine making to a european competition 
unfortunately things while I was there didn't quite work out for um, for a lot of reasons. I had my first injury. I'd never been injured before until then. Um, a few other factors didn't quite help. I just, maybe maybe I didn't settle in. I don't know. I I thought I was settled in, but it's football. Uh, but it was a really a really exciting opportunity for me, and um, I think again is a learning. Everything's everything's about learning, mm-hmm. and it was a big part of of my career as well. You like spoke about your injury, and and I could see your face, your like tone changed. Um, can you? Can you talk about what that injury was and and that, and how that just impacted you as a you know as a human being? Uh, yeah, so this is a it's a bit of a weird one. We so when I was in in Wales, we didn't have a, f- a physiotherapist with us at the time with a club, and um, so obviously I, I didn't really have someone to go to with the the pains and injuries. It's um, I felt. When I was warming up for a game in Cardiff, I felt a bit of a, like a pain in my abdominal and left the doctor area. Oh. And uh, I kind of kept going. I went. We had a sports scientist who we'd go to, but he did. He did say that you know it was he was a sports scientist, but he tried to help as much as he could. Um, he didn't mention to say, "Oh, just play on it, and then we'll see." So I played on it. Wow. And. Um, the week after, we had another game, and I was pinging a ball, and I was—it was not right. Again, abdominal, really bad pain. But I told them the manager, "There's no chance I can play today." So I went on the bench. Week after, we—no, uh, a couple of days later, because this was a midweek game. No, this was a Saturday game. Then the midweek game came. We were playing at home, and I took a shot in the warm-up. Absolutely no chance. I couldn't even run. Um, couldn't even like. Couldn't even move. I ended up in A and E that night because I went to the other team's physio. And he the he checked my abdominal area, so we thought it could be a hernia, which obviously would have been <laughs> uh, considerably worse than what it actually was. Uh, so it turns out it was a, just a torn abdominal. Um, it could have been a hernia. It could have been a lot worse. Obviously, with if, the, if there's a tear and it's popping out and the and it tightens, then it's very dangerous. It, you know, you need surgery on that. So I went to A and E. Ended up staying in Wrexham Hospital for about 13, 15 hours. I couldn't remember the exact amount. It was in between those. Uh, it was not good. Molly was sleeping in the car as well as as all of this was happening because I was quite nervous about it. We ended up getting it checked and it, it, they couldn't tell what it was. So they said I had to seek further test, tests. I ended up going to Spire Hospital, getting tested. And turns out that um, when they did the scans, they just said it was a tear. But I just had to be out for a while and it was it was a very difficult time for me. It was... <laughs> I didn't really know how to deal with it because it had never happened to me before. I didn't know how to stop. It was weird for me not training. I, I didn't know what to do with myself. It was, it was a bit weird. A r- really hard period for me. But uh, I'm really glad with how the recovery went in the end because um, I feel like in I've left the impression in Wales that I was an unfit player. And, mm. and anyone that knows me would never describe me as an unfit player. Uh, I think you can talk to like, my coaches in, in Blackpool. They'd be, they'd be able to say that. That's really not like I'd describe me as fast. They describe me as fit, especially the way I train, the way I like to train. They would have never described me that way, but I think I left that impression in Wales, and I, it disappoints me. <laughs> Do you think you left that impression, or was that the kind of whiff? I don't know. Like, were you, were you kind of getting that impression from other players, management that that actually that was your 
but you know, yeah, that was you just 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 being injury prone and unfit. Well, I, I, at the time, that my agent was told that he's never fit, and uh, I'm not sure who said it. He didn't specify, and I'm, I'm I mean, it's that's the way they feel about me is their responsibility. I'm not responsible for the way they feel. I know that I know about how much training I do for myself. Anyone that knows me knows that. Uh, the amount of stress it puts on my personal life as well. So I'm. That's the way they felt. I think that's how they felt, especially from what they said to him, to my agent. But it's not my responsibility that they felt that way because, and I know that now. But I don't like that I've left that impression as well. There's nothing I can do about it, man. I mean, I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't have treatment as well, so I had to get it after. Um, it's just it's just how it went. It's just unfortunate. I feel bad about it because I feel like if things had went well in Wales, it could have been a massive opportunity for me. And uh, I would have liked to contribute for the belief that they had in me. Mm. So I'm a bit disappointed with how it went, really. So from your experiences from from Wales, you you move on to an amazing opportunity in Finland. I'd love to know a little bit more about how that opportunity came. So, in Finland, I was managed by an amazing coach, uh, Luis Figueiredo. Me and Luis had briefly spoken in November, and it was about something completely different, nothing to do with uh, with me going out to Finland. No, not the day people think that I, he was poaching their players, <laughs> their <laughs> contracted players a couple of months before. I don't want that impression to be out there. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> But yeah, we spoke about something completely different. He's he's a big Chester fan, so we were talking. I was living in Wrexham, not too far from Chester as well, and um, we were talking about that. And um, then in January, so literally a couple of days from the transfer window, Luis Figueiredo calls me. I was literally, I remember this so clearly. I was uh, me and Molly were off to Chester, and uh, for a day out because at that point, actually, I was, I was t- uh, t- telling uh, telling someone the story yesterday. Basically, I was sat in the sofa because I was just so, you know, borderline depressed at that point as well. Uh, I didn't want to play football anymore. I was like, I was really down. So I think she walked in from the kitchen. Our kitchen was more or less there. And I was like this. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with myself. And uh, there's only so much Warzone and FIFA I could play all day. <laughs> just recovered from injury as well. And she was like, uh, and I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. Um, uh, I don't think I want to play football anymore. Like, I'm not feeling it anymore. She's like, okay, don't think about it. It's your day off tomorrow. We'll get in the car. We'll go to Chester. We're going to a board game cafe. That's what it was. So we're about to get in the car. The phone rings. Luis Figueiredo. And um, he, he's like, so, uh, do you want to come play in Finland? I said, yes. And he's like, oh, do you not want to hear about the like the conditions and uh, what what it's like? And I was like, I'll come. It's, it's, I mean, you can tell me, but my decision's made, you know. Wow. <laughs> you can tell me now. So, uh, yeah, he, he went over and um, Kayan and Hacker, it's honestly like it's uh, it's hard to talk about in a good way because uh, it's, it's like it's a very I enjoyed it so much. It's honestly like the, the happiest I've ever been playing football. It was a really amazing year. It made, made me fall in love with football again. And um, when he called me, the, the conditions as well were like we were on the way from uh, Wrexham to no. Yeah, Wrexham to Chester. 
And he just went over everything. It just sounded amazing. You know, I'd already seen the videos of the team playing because when we spoke in November, he showed me everything. They played beautiful football. He got like in a non-footballing country because ice hockey is the biggest sport in Finland. He got this team playing. They got gotten promoted as well, playing this amazing football. And it excited me. And I knew they had gym, they had pool, um, training full time. We had all the conditions, you know, physio, doctor, all the conditions to succeed. The The club's budget wasn't obviously outstanding, but they gave us everything to be the best players we could be. It was, it was an amazing experience. And um, the more he told me about it and this trip from <laughs> Wrexham to Chester, the more I was convinced that this is what I wanted to do. So I asked, I called my family as well and told them, right, I'm going to Finland. And I touched on the subject about maybe trying my luck there not long before, but told them I'm going to Finland. They're like, no, my dad was like, no, Finland's so cold. It's so far. You're not going to Finland. And I was like, I'm going to Finland. <laughs> and they said, we agreed, like I'd come to Portugal first and um, like, think about it. I'd already signed the, the the documents to go over. So it didn't really make much of a difference. I went to Portugal anyways, and they ended up like coming with me because they couldn't believe that I was coming to Finland. And uh yeah, I'm so glad I did it. Honestly, it was such an amazing experience. I want to go back to when you were sitting down, when you literally fell out of love uh, of football. If you didn't get that phone call, what do you think you would have done for the remainder of that week, month? possibly a year it would have been a, a very difficult one for me i don't know if uh, i don't know how the situation would have changed it's hard to to look back at, at it and think about how things could have been different maybe i mean i went on to have a, a season where i played 100 of the minutes i was available i had no injuries i was fit and i didn't have any problems throughout my season in finland so there's a chance if i'd stayed in wales that could have happened However, maybe the fresh the fresh start is what was important for that to happen again. And uh, it's like trying something new, learning again. Because I think I would have found it really difficult in the state that I was to pick back up and getting back to where I was before. The good thing was I was traveling from um, Wrexham to, Black to Blackpool to work with uh, Dave Mendonca. The, um, he's the fitness coach I usually work with football wise over the summer so we do a lot of like he's, he's got quite quite a good group of players going as well and I usually go back and we do a lot of you know a lot of running um, stuff on the ball as well focus on like you know he fixed my running mechanics which was a big part of why I hit a lot of the speeds in the high 30s throughout my career and the general fitness that I have a lot of it is thanks to the work that we've done together so I did start doing that just before I went to Finland. So I was, I was traveling from Wrexham to Blackpool every Monday to train with him. So maybe it would have been that I would have gone back to where I was before and managed to pick on it, pick back up on it, even as a player. But in reality, the I wasn't really feeling valued. Um, I felt like just one of the pack and it was especially like being out of the team as well, injured, watching it from the outside, you feel like a spectator. I feel like I could have, you know, if I, I feel like I could have just been in the stands watching it, you know, I've, I had a season ticket, I wasn't a player. So 
I think it would have been really difficult to pick myself back up after that. And I would have just been a burden on, on Molly, to be honest, throughout the whole time in my family. So, so yeah. You, um, you like talk very fondly of Molly, your, your like girlfriend. Um, how did you guys meet? And again, like what influence has she been on your career? Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, Molly used to be a um, flatmate of a friend of mine and, uh, we met by pure chance, actually. I left uh, my jacket. Wait, so we. Yeah, uh, right. I left my jacket. No, no, I, no, no. I went out. I went out with a. I hadn't met her at this point, so oh. I went out with a couple of friends. I didn't know. Didn't even know she was like living there, you know. Um, so I left my, uh, my jacket in a mate's room, and we we went went out, and um, I was gonna go home, and I was like, oh, my jacket. So I'll go back, and literally when I went back, that's when I met Molly. She was just in the kitchen by pure chance. I, I knew, like, she, obviously not, not random, but I just walked in. She was the flatmate. But, but yeah, uh, so we met then and we started, it started out as friends. So, like, uh, you know, uh, my, my mate's flatmate, friends. Uh, but then pff, things just, we, I came back once from Portugal to see her as well. And I think it was like spending so much time together. Uh, we, had, we have a lot of common as well. And, and she's a big support of, uh, for football for me. Even at, at times where like it looks like I don't know what the next step is, she you know she helps. She's a big help. She's a major part of my career. And even now, like because uh, when I'm at points where I don't know what's going on next, she helps me like seeing what's in front first instead of thinking about the bigger picture, you know. So uh, a very big part of it, yeah. She's like really special to you. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, a major part of. Like the, all the success I've had. What's kind of been like, the biggest sacrifice that you've had to make uh, in your life so far? So for me, it's always leaving my family. So I, th I think I've mentioned this before, like in a in our programs that when um, so for example, I was playing in Finland. Molly came out with me, but didn't stay. So she went back to went back to the UK and she's working here as well. So when I'm in Finland, I'm away from her and my parents and my friends, obviously. When I was playing in Portugal, I was away from Molly, but I was with my parents. Although my parents did come to see me quite a lot in Kayani, which was really nice, but yeah. So when I was playing in England, I'm with Molly, but I'm away from my parents. So it's the fact that whatever decision I make, I'm always away from someone. And um, so the biggest sacrifice for me is not being able to see my parents, not seeing my, my girlfriend, not seeing my family. It's very difficult, but it's football. <laughs> the reality of football is very difficult. And it's uh, obviously there's a lot more sacrifices in it. Like when you're at, u like, when you're at uni and you still want to be a player, you can't live the full uni experience. You can't feel, live the full uni life. Even when I'm like playing, my, my groups of friends want to do something together. I have a, a very strong group of friends from back from school that we're still like all really good friends with. Despite uh, all of us like living in the different corners of the world, we're all still really close. Sometimes they all want to get together and do things. So we'll organize like traveling together or whatever. And I can't always make that because of the way the season goes. So I remember like the last time I saw them was November. Not this November, the one year before we all went to Belgium together. 
So I had a couple of days off and um, I said, literally, this is the only three days I have. Uh, they wanted to do something. So we all went to, to Belgium and met up. So obviously I wouldn't be able to do that very regularly whilst they can because, you know, just, just take time off their jobs and I can't just take time off football because if I take a weekend off next week, someone else will be in my place. Everyone's replaceable. So there's, there's a lot of sacrifices to football one, but the, definitely for me, the biggest one is being away from my family. You're a very driven individual, very, very focused. Uh, and and we had a brief conversation about how how no one's really going to take your your like dreams away from you. Um, was that instilled at you know at birth? I mean, how how like do you have this kind of this kind of steel like mentality in terms of your footballing journey? So. I think uh, my dad's a big example of that because he he's very driven himself. He's reached a, a very good position in his career just from like being very hardworking, very driven. So I think obviously look, I can look back into that and see, you know, I definitely see where I got that from, you know, and um, I think uh, that's a big part of why I'm this way. But another reason I always say is I feel like I'm a professional footballer that wasn't meant to be a professional footballer. And this isn't because I I like I didn't want to be a professional footballer. That's not what I'm saying. It's because a lot of things I, I was I was lucky enough to live like a, a comfortable life as a child. So I could have like unambitiously and comfortably just followed university, got a job follow the career path, you know, I could have easily done that and that would have been an easy path. But I chose to follow, force my way into professional football almost by just being resilient and by not giving up, just believing that the, the opportunity is always around the corner. If I, so basically, I wasn't in an academy. I wasn't in like... Um, you know, I didn't do like 10 years in academy or anything where I could have just gone into the first team. I had to literally force my way into a system where I wasn't even in. So I think part of that is a big reason why. Uh, the word I use, like, I don't know if you remember the metaphor I've used before, which is the, the funnel. So I think I've mentioned this with you before once. So basically, to be a professional footballer, it's like someone's throwing a bunch of water in a funnel. So obviously a large quantity of it's going to go out through the sides. Those are the players that have missed it. So you just have to survive that filter, go in the funnel, you know? You have to survive that filter of everyone just trying to do it. And I've managed to survive the filter. And I think if I wasn't driven, if I wasn't resilient, I wouldn't have been able to because of the pure competition around. And regarding the kind of competition around and... You've like mentioned with the competition and something that I've kind of just latched onto, you said football is almost like a system. Like you you like had to force yourself into it into the footballing system. Do you believe that there's some players that have an easier way into an academy or possibly the pro game? Um van yourself and other 
other players that had to come via another route. A hundred percent. It is. I have no doubt of this. And this is not just, like, I know this because of things I've seen, conversations I've heard just from being sat silently in the corner in the the right place at the right time. I know if, like, I know I've learned so much that goes on in football that people, like, have no idea. Literally, people think it's, like, a lot of people think football is just that one hour and a half, like, maths. <laughs> one hour and a half. <laughs> one hour and a half kickabouts in the, on the weekend. <laughs> That um, and it's not. There's like so much that goes into it, and uh, there's so much of the dark side of football as well. And a lot of players got it easy from that dark side of the football. A lot of players are just molded from a young age to, and you know, even at academies, there might be a squad of like twenty players or so, but there's nineteen players that might be there because of that one player because he can't play on his own. So say I random, I don't know. There's one good play, one good center mid. He, he, you know, they they know he's going to be in the first team, but he's not going to play one v eleven every week until he's in the first team. So they'll just rash out ten random players to play around them with no. They might, they might, if they work out, they work out great. If they don't, they don't. Who cares? Because they can do that. Academies can pick whoever they want. And uh, again, that might be a, an easy path for that one player that we don't know of because we don't know what how it's working around but i've definitely heard of incidents of players that are only in certain clubs because of their parent being a sponsor or um their agents having agreements with the players the more i'm involved in football i've heard of that i, I i've seen that and uh for, fortunately not for many of the clubs i've been involved with there are there are i i should say that now that they were all being really professional and good clubs but I know that in different clubs and like even the leagues and everything, um, it's just football. <laughs> and like, how does that make you feel knowing, knowing what you know? It's, it's always frustrating, of course, because I would have loved to have it easy like that myself as well. But, but then again, if you don't enjoy the, the, the grind, if you don't enjoy the, the process of it, then is there really much point? If you're just gifted something, I don't think you really appreciate it. If uh, if I woke up one morning and my dad said, "All right, I just paid a hundred thousand to this guy. Uh, you're gonna play at Benfica for the rest of your life," you know, uh, it might I might feel good about like, okay, good. I'm, am I really a professional footballer though? If uh, if that's what's happened, if I haven't earned that right to be there, if I'm just there because of who got paid off, I think I'd feel unaccomplished. And uh, I don't think it would have, I would have felt right about it. So obviously it's frustrating to know that there's all these things going on, but it's like anything in life. You can't control that. And um, I'm taking responsibility for the fact that there's nothing I can do about that. So I, I can only take responsibility for myself and do what I can for myself. I can't control the external factors. It's just, you have to almost be indifferent to them. So from the darkness of football to the shining light of football, let's uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You was voted players player. At yeah, uh, well, uh, player of the season, of the season. for Kayanin Haka last season. It's the oh my, I'm, my finish is really not very good yet. <laughs> Ar Arnon Malia, I think, 
uh, Aaron's ball, essentially. So it's the prize that Kayanin Kayan Haka gifts to the player of the season. And um, yeah, it was a, it's a big deal. It's really nice to see, yeah. I was actually like, I'd already left Finland when it was gifted, so I've actually not even seen the trophy yet. So it's, I really want to go back and actually like hold it, <laughs> get a picture and all that, you know, um, because it happened. I'd already left. Basically, our season finished. I, I spent a, like a week or so with the activities with the club, still saying goodbye to everyone. And then I went back to, to England. But um, the presentation was on a Saturday, literally a couple of days after I left. And I, I didn't know it was happening. And I didn't know I was going to win it either. And obviously, like, you can hardly ask if <laughs> for something like that. So I literally just um, found out it was happening. And I messaged. This is, must be really funny, actually, because I was messaging them, telling me, oh, is it live streamed? Is there any way of me watching? Because I want to be involved. Like, I want to watch. And they probably sat there in Finland knowing that I'm about to win it. <laughs> they probably knew about it already. And nobody said anything, you know. And uh, and then one day they just text. I, I, I asked uh, Uti, the... the uh, like head of marketing and um i asked her for a couple of pictures at the event and she said oh yeah here's one and then it was my name on the trophy i was like what the what is this and i she sent another video and it was them announcing it <laughs> so that's how i found out <laughs> wow yeah but it was essentially um gifted basically based on professionalism for the season i think the the exact words the career uh, fitness coach used was the um, like the level of professionalism, the way I took nutrition and he used me as an example of like all the youth players watching as well, which was like really nice for me to hear because I mean, that's not why I do things right. I obviously do do things the way I do because I want to be better, but it was nice to, to see that it was valued there. It was really good for me. Hmm. And, um, you know, how was it? I think you're still playing it down. I'm, I'm, you know, um, I mean, it's huge. It's absolutely huge, and, and uh, with like everything that you've con- everything that you went through uh, in Wales, you know that you know that like must have been a feeling of wow, like I literally belong um, on this stage. Like this is this is something that I've worked my my nuts off to actually deserve. Yeah, it was it was definitely a massive reward. For the year that it was as well, considering everything that happened. And it was it was definitely really special. It felt special. But uh, I was just, you know, I was just happy because I wouldn't have been able to do it if it wasn't for Luis Figueiredo giving me the opportunity to come to Finland. And for, obviously, because of all the con- the conditions that President Jarmo Antonin gave to us. If I didn't have all that, that would have never been possible. And um, it was, it, it picked me up. It, re- it really picked me up, especially after everything that happened. It was like a, a new sense of belief. And, you know, it's not even because they gave me the the award or anything. Just the way the whole year played out in Finland, that club will forever be, like, really special to me. The It was just, like, a really amazing ending for it. And it's something I like to pick up on now. On, uh, you know, this high, this massive high. It was... I don't even know like I'm speechless just trying to describe it honestly the, it felt really important to me as well let's kind of talk about some of the antics that uh, some of your fellow teammates have, have kind of got themselves into <laughs> everyone knows in the change room and, and whatnot. there's there's always stories that kind of uh, you know that can go on um, can you kind of talk 
about any <laughs> any like stories um, and like any kind of crazy situations that teammates have got themselves into. <laughs> Our goalkeeper got injured a couple of games into the season. Oh, well, he got suspended. Sorry, he got a red card. I've kind of just spoiled the story now, but he he, he got a red card and throughout his three match suspension for a direct red, he had, he got injured and retired. Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. It's just when, you know, the first thing happens and you're like, oh, okay. Uh, and then this happens and you're like, literally a couple games into the season, you're like, oh, is this how this year is going to go, you know? Um, you know what? The best thing was we had a 16-year-old goalkeeper on the bench. We don't usually have a goalkeeper <laughs> in the bench, but that day we decided to have a goalkeeper in the bench. And uh, yeah, he came on in front of the match. He was absolutely brilliant. Uh, and like, unfortunately, like things didn't weren't as easy later on um, because inexperience and it's, he still has to develop. But it was, um, yeah, it was. He had, yeah, he did have a really good game. Actually, my favorite part of that game was um, my dad came with us to that game, and this is um, this is a story that not many people know yet. So this is new. So. My dad, uh, I kind of gave him the camera because we wanted to clip a couple of pictures of the game for the, like, the articles for the club and everything. And so for him to get on the pitch, the other team came and questioned who this person was. And he was like, oh, I'm a reporter. I'm a reporter from Portugal. And uh, we've just gone with it. Yeah, <laughs> reporting on the game. You know, we have a lot of Portuguese players. and But yeah, eventually, obviously, because he's only getting pictures of us, I, we could like he could see the other team kind of looking like, oh, this reporter only seems to care about them. So he went to the other side and he started clipping pictures of the players in the other team as well. Like I mean, I lost it when I turned and I saw the players posing oh, for full-on pictures and everything. That's amazing. <laughs> and then the best part was when I was flicking through the pictures to pass them on to the club and there's pictures of the players just going... <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> That, that's amazing. But it's, it's just, it's just, amazing. <laughs> just before the last game of the season, the local newspaper put out an article where they criticized the, well, mainly the Portuguese players, really. And they criticized the inexperience of the squad and criticized the completely and fairly criticized the manager as well. Just because he's a passionate manager. I think it's because it's quite an introverted country so i understand that it's um a bit um a bit different from what they're used to so but then again we're about to play the most important game of the season to avoid relegation and um you know that comes out that article comes out and uh, we we put it in the, in the changing rooms on the door and everyone was reading it and it's just the timing you know you can perfect there's perfectly nothing wrong with writing something like that it's just do it after the last game of the season when you know everyone's minds out of it already. So it's it's what I said. We felt like a lot of the times throughout the season we were swimming against the current. It's um, it was very you know it was it was quite tough. <laughs> but um, I had another one as well, but it's slipping my mind now. It's, it's gone. <laughs> it might, it might come back to me. It might come back to me. But yeah. Okay. So yeah. Um. Talking about criticism and talking about pressure, how do you cope with criticism? And and if someone, let's say, someone down the street criticizes you, is it something that you take personally? Or again, you know, in terms of their 
they like talking about how you defend or whatever it is. And uh, and if your manager or a player kind of lays into you, I mean, how like do you cope with that like type of criticism, pressure as well? And is it something that you take home with you? And, and literally again, how like does Molly and, and your kind of family dynamic help you in in those tough situations? It's so the the dynamic of a coach criticizing you or a, a player criticizing you is completely different to, to at least to me personally the dynamic of like a, someone in the stands criticizing me because if if my manager is criticizing me it's something that I need to take in because it's for the great good of the team and because it's constructively going to make me a better player if it's an issue that I have to fix it's I always prefer to just be told if something you know if I'm doing something wrong if I'm not doing well that's why i don't like it when teams for example um are messing you around a bit you know when they're deciding if they're going to sign you or not you know if you don't think i'm good just tell me i'd rather know if, if you're not interested if it's not a good fit for you i'd rather you just tell me so it's the same with coaching i'd rather people just tell me if i'm not doing something right so i can fix it and so i improve as a player now fans criticizing you is completely different because you know who's who's going to know what the right thing to do on a football pitch is me who's playing football getting paid to play football or Jimmy from the pub down the road who's never kicked the ball in his life you know professionally and you know watched watch all he does is watch a lot of football and listen to talk sport every once in a while you know it's not like they're not going to be <laughs> they might not be the best uh, source for footballing knowledge uh, you know compared to my manager who's been doing that for however long he's been doing it you know so the dynamic is different. It does it affect you if um, you're taking criticism from the fans, of course. And um, for me personally, it's not the criticism as much that affects me, but it's the fact that my family might have to sit in the stands listening to that criticism. <sighs> Obviously, they don't know who my family might be in the stands, but just that that just doesn't sit right with me. And for example, I'm not one to go and uh, to watch a football game. I won't go watch a Premier League game and shout abuse at a player and uh, I just I don't think it's right I wouldn't you know I wouldn't go to co-op and shout abuse at the person scanning my my shopping you know because she's not scanning it or scanning it quick, quick enough or whatever it's I, why I wouldn't do that why would I feel like it's normal for me to go to a football game and do it but you know people uh, people choose to do it and that's their responsibility I mean um, but the way they feel about me is their responsibility and the way I the way I take it is my responsibility as well so I try it. it's just water off the duck's back in it so so kind of going back and again you know you, it could be Jimmy could be John could be Tabriz <laughs> <laughs> but you know um, but also as well you know I kind of have to also look in it on their side imagine Jimmy is 55 and he's supported his club this is you know this is his boyhood club yeah and like he like knows the ethos and the history of a club and he's looking at a manager or a player to come in they train they play and then if the time is right for them to move on they will move on and then they've left all of the baggage to the fans to actually deal with you can see why some fans 
especially when their team are not performing, will literally um, talk to a manager or have a go, however you want to look at it. I mean, they like do have a right to, you know, yeah. to actually have their opinions. Do you know what? They've they've paid for a ticket as well, so whatever they want to do to, you know, make that the experience for them is actually perfectly acceptable as well. Um, that's their choice. <laughs> it's, I actually understand what you mean because I'm also a fan of Sporting Lisbon, for example. So I know the feeling of being a fan, but I also know the feeling of being a player. It's a bit of a conflicting one. And uh, you honestly, when you're playing 99% of the times, you don't even hear what's going on in the stands. You don't even notice. I, I've finished games where, like, my family were like, "Oh, did you? Did you? They had a drum today. Did you hear the drum?" I was like, "Huh? Is a drum?" You know, you, you have to be fo so focused on the game that it's it's so hard to explain. It's like you don't you don't even know what's going on. You're just focused on what you're doing. The war. The thing is the social media side of it. So going on social media and Finland has something which is kind of kind of cool, but also I, I don't recommend it to probably the majority of players, where they have a massive football forum. So it's called Footish Forum. And on Footish Forum, uh, fans essentially just go and comment about their teams. So it's an anom anonymous forum. So that says a lot about yeah, your your face, I think, says it all. It's an anonymous forum. People can say whatever they want. There's no profile pictures. There's nothing. People can put as much criticism or compliments because there are some compliments as well. But, you know, I heard Casper Schmeichel say this in the, the High Performance podcast not long ago where there might be 200 compliments, but it's that one bit of criticism that you're going to think about. And uh, it is true. And you've just, you've just got to not listen to it. But then again, as I said, the way you take it in is your responsibility they chose to say it that's fine that's their right the way you take it in is what you can control and you've just got to be resilient you just got to you just got to believe in yourself basically and believe in what you do so the Finnish football forum was a source of a lot of entertainment for me this season and I say this because of the sometimes people have their opinions but because you're inside the changing rooms you know what the dynamics you know what's going on it's different. So in my situation, because I sometimes people would comment and I, I'd, I'd think uh, it's not much we can do because they don't know, you know, the question where our keeper is, don't, don't know he's injured and out for the season. Um, they, they question um, question decisions about players not being in the squad. They don't know that might have a family commit, a commitment or something. There's a reason for it. It's not just the manager suddenly woke up one morning and decided to, to bin off our top, top player. You know, it's, it's not random. Nothing is random, even though sometimes it looks on the outside that thing everything is random. But it's not quite like that. And once you know the context, and once you believe with yourself, believe in what you're doing, believe in yourself, you find it you find it a lot easier to just get on with things and be okay with what goes on externally. Um, we like spoke off air about um, a book that you read, the Art of Not Giving a Giving a given an F <laughs> and um, how what's the biggest thing that you that you learned from reading that book there was so much like I actually really recommend that book it's actually I've read it in a day 
honestly, I th- maybe two days, but just um, I, I was captivated by it instantly. I th- overthinking and being too concerned about things is something that has affected me for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Overthinking is one of the reasons I think why I sometimes can't do certain things on the pitch. And I don't mean overthinking uh, as like just just questioning myself. So that's what I mean. Even though I can do things, I question my ability to do things. And I wish I'd realized that like three years ago, maybe. Because who knows? But I've only reflected on that over this last season. And this was actually through the help of a sports psychologist as well. That's helped me realize these things. And this book, I was reading it and I was looking back at the certain points of last season and I was thinking, do you know what? If I thought like this last season, maybe... I could have finished the season with goals because I would have chosen to take a risk knowing that I can uh, I can commit, you know, beat that 1v1 or I know I can make that cross or I, can, I know I can make that long shot. But I chose an easier, like a safer option because of overthinking and not believing in myself. Molly, Molly says it to me quite regularly that not believing in myself is my biggest issue. And do you think the reason why you don't believe in yourself because you want to please everyone. Yeah, yeah, I guess that maybe that, that could be what it is. It's just um, do, like feeling like I have to do the safer thing, the right thing. Because the, the, the thing that I took from this book was that, uh, and what he means by not giving an F, it's not like being indifferent. What he means by it is believing in yourself and doing like not caring about what everyone what everyone thinks or so the example he used i think was like i think um some uh, someone in his i think it was his mother uh, got messed around and um she, she was like oh but she was just accepting it and just being oh, you can't do anything about it it is what it is you know that type of attitude and he said no um we're going to lawyer up beat this situation and uh, you know, you're going to be the winner in this whole situation. He was dead confident about it. And uh, the way, so the way he put it was, it's not um, Mark, Mark, Mark Manson, the author doesn't, uh, doesn't care. Doesn't, he's not indifferent. That's not what he meant. He meant he, he doesn't give a F he's, he's going to take everyone on. He's, you know, going to lawyer up and beat the situation. And that's what he means about it. You know, just, it's not, it's not indifference. It's um, being, you know, believing and being the best you can be because you don't care about the um, the outcome. You know, you're doing what you're doing is right. So I think that's what what I took from it: doing the right thing because you believe in it. And you know what? I, the way I apply that when I was playing is if I'm uh, making a decision about what the right thing to do on the pitch is because I know in my, like, that's the right decision to make. And uh, I feel like sometimes maybe I've played it safe, you know, and maybe I had the ability to to take someone on and I chose to just go back and play the safe option because I thought that was the right thing to do for the greater good. But maybe I would have believed that, you know, I'm, I'm a fast player. Maybe I could have taken him on, crossed it, and my strike would have scored. And I've missed out on that chance and played the safe option. And do you go home and do you analyze and regret about, you know, 
regret certain decisions that you that you make on the pitch? I don't. I don't regret decisions because regret regret doesn't change anything. Like I, I, there's no points. There's nothing I can. Once something is done, um, I can't change it. So one of the ones I think about is in the last game of the season, 87th minute, we were playing Rops and it was 2-2. And uh, there's a bit of an ongoing joke in my team that I don't score goals because it just hasn't happened. <laughs> but the ball, so the striker's taking a shot, it's rebounded off a defender and I've just taken it on my knee in the edge of the box mm-hmm. and just volleyed it. Um, and it didn't go in. The keeper saved it. And... I could look back into that and think, oh, maybe I could have taken a touch and then just finished it. Maybe I could have been more composed. I could have regretted it, but obviously I've, it could have, it should have got, it could have gone in and it could have, we could have won that game, the last game of the season, but it didn't go in. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't change it. So there's no point in regretting it. I tried. I did what I could. So I, I don't think, I, I always go home and analyze the game. So I always look through the video and see what I've done, but it's for the purpose of improving my decision making for the purpose of making the right decision when I'm in the next in that situation the next time because football is just a compilation of the basics. Every week you just go out there and you do the basics. If you do the basics right, if you do the basics better than the other team, you'll win. Because football is essentially comprised of the basics. There's no point overcomplicating it. It's a game. <laughs> when was the last time that you didn't try it on a football pitch? didn't try on a football pitch that's something i can fortunately say that i've never not tried on a football pitch in training not even in training if you don't try in training you're going to go into the game not trying as well not trying is to me not trying is it i have to have like some core values and hard hard work and giving it my best is one of my core values so it's something it's one of the few things you can control in the football pitch how you try and how you work and um, I would I would never not try in a football pitch because if I go out to training and don't try, I'm going to miss out on an opportunity to improve myself. You know, if I if I go and do a sprint with my fitness coach, if I don't give it full sprint speed that I physically can at that moment, I'm not going to get my sprint speed better for next time. If I don't fully try to squat that that weight... I'm going to miss out on an opportunity of improving my squat, my squat weight for the next time. So fortunately that's something I can say that I've never done. And it's because I, then, then I would have a regret because that is something I can control and I've missed out on an opportunity. What's the worst piece of advice you've been told in your football career and in life? The worst piece of advice. Hmm. I'm gonna have to think about this one actually. And in life. Hmm. I think for football, the worst piece of advice I've ever been told was when I was uh, younger. I was encouraged to look at a uh, look at a player and mimic what that player does. So if he does a rainbow flick, I try a rainbow flick. If he's doing step overs, he does step over. I do step overs. If if he's trying to dribble past everyone, that's what I've got to do. And 
I don't think obviously there's actions that you can look in obviously that for me it's more positional and that type of body shape and that type of stuff but I can never look at Ronaldo and mimic Ronaldo because I'm not the type of player to pick up a ball and do 50 step overs and just try to go through everyone that's that's not me I I like to you know do things to the right do things right to the best of my ability so I wouldn't I wouldn't try and take on a full team because that's not the type of player I am so I'd find it quite d- d- difficult to just mimic one player mimic his actions and because you're not him you are you and uh, there's obviously things you can mimic so as I said that the you can, you can take something that you've seen and try to apply it to your game obviously that's that's fine but not doing everything like the same you know and uh, I also got told once to just play the safe option and not take risks and I guess it goes back to what I've just what I've just said risk you know, if I didn't take risks, I wouldn't be a professional footballer because I would have played it safe, gone to uni and, you know, follow that, follow that path. Well, I did go to uni anyways, but I mean, follow that path. Life, you only get one chance of it and everything about it is numbered. We were saying this before as well, fair, weren't we? That um, we don't know how long we have. We don't know how long we can play football for. So we just got to make the most of it what we can, while we can. So I think a major part of it is taking risks. And um, if you believe something is the right thing to do, that you should take that risk. It, it, if you feel that is the path that is right for you. So, yeah. As a uh, professional footballer, um, the industry's changed now. Um, of course, um, with the women's game now, uh, we've like seen um, amazing stuff especially in England and of course like the kind of men's men's game has now exploded you know with brands social media um, and like the word of inclusion you know it's it's like something that everyone believes in so as a professional player I'd love to get your opinion about this why do you think no one has come out in the men's game um, about their sexuality. Well, I think it's just recently a Scottish League Two player. As uh, I think it's just come out. I'd, personally, I just don't think it should like be news. Uh, someone's you know someone's choice. We shouldn't make it <laughs> like a deal about it. it. With how much acceptance there is nowadays, we should just. just accepting be okay with you know everyone's everyone's choices and it wouldn't bother i don't it wouldn't bother me you know i i, I think it wouldn't bother 99 percent of the uh, players around the world and uh, i just I, I, personally i just don't don't think it sh- we should make like such a massive deal of it you know it, there's it's just it's just life you know it's just people people's choices you know we shouldn't influence. Uh, we we shouldn't influence anyone. We shouldn't make anyone feel scared of who they really are. We, it's it's just it's okay, you know. <laughs> it's a bit of a bit of a hard one, a hard one to explain, but um, it's 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 not something I. It's something I just feel should be accepted, and it's not something I should 
I feel like we should make a big deal about, you know, it's, um, if I, you know, if someone says they're straight or, or, or they wouldn't care, nobody like it's, it, you know, it's like not even a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. We, we wouldn't be discussing this, would we? If, if it was like a player came out as straight, you know, it, it doesn't happen. And I, I think at this point it's just, um, it, it, it's at the level of acceptance that we were, it's, it's okay. You know? It, it doesn't have to be football is football, you know? It, it doesn't have to be an issue. The reason why you're down here in London, um, I don't want to say too much. I mean, because you, you can you can talk about the reasons why you like we have met here, um, but you've had some very in- interesting conversations with, with like um, your team. Um, can you talk about what you and your team are looking are like looking to do this season or this year? So I've said it a lot on the platform that I think 2023 is going to be an amazing year. I think we've had a bit of a, especially after the high of winning the tro- the player of the season and and everything, it was a, a bit of a, put a couple of speed bumps across the way the last couple of months. Again, it's uh, everything's a little bit inconclusive. But uh, I feel like 2023 is going to be an amazing year. Of course, I've had the, I've had calls from uh, a couple of clubs in Europe, um, a couple of different countries. Again, maybe one or two in the UK. But uh, and obviously, I think it's I've made it very clear that Kayan and Hak is like a very special club to me as well. And as much as it pains me to say, unfortunately, we got relegated. And it's a really difficult reality because when I look back into it, we did not deserve that. We didn't. Oh, that's what I wanted. The story that I wanted. To remember, <laughs> you, I, you were looking at me. I just remembered what it was. Anyway, but yeah, especially with the way that it was um, and what's recently come out. So uh, one of the games that directly impacted our results being investigated for match fixing, mm. and. Was it Matrix? Was it not? We don't know. Nobody, only those that did it will know. Uh, only if they did it, that is. It's investigations. But yeah, so even considering that we got relegated, I just don't feel like we deserve that. We deserved so much more, especially the cons- like the amount of work that uh, the president put in for us. He didn't deserve that outcome. And Kayani didn't deserve that outcome. And it's not going to sit right with me. Obviously, I, I know I did everything in my control, but... It is what it is, but um, obviously it's a very special club to me. But also as well, I can I can say again, you know, I've got to play two sides. The league table doesn't lie. You know, you have an amount of games to uh, accumulate the points for you to be safe. So if so, if you finish in the relegation uh, zone, then technically you you like deserve to be there. If you win the league after X amount of games, then you deserve to win the league. So, so why, why do you think your team didn't deserve to get relegated? Well, I guess match fixing situation obviously didn't help. Uh, obviously we didn't know about it at the time. We don't know if, it, we still don't know if it's obviously confirmed. So I, I can only speculate about it, but, there was a lot of points throughout the season where things we, we feel like we lost control of the well, as I said, we were swimming against the current. We felt we lost control of things. 
We couldn't control the retirement of our goalkeeper. That happened. We couldn't control the fact that the striker and the winger felt like um, missed home and had to return home. They were both quite key players for us at the time as well. We had to wait for the window to open to replace him as well. It was uh, a couple of times where one of our coaches had to play because we were, we had injuries, we had illnesses, COVID, naturally. And um, we didn't have the, the squad for the games. And we did our best of what we could, you know. And it, it was roof. We were hard done by a lot of external factors. We when when it was up to us to take responsibility, we did our best of what we could. But there was a lot of external factors that really couldn't be helped. Um, so that's quite impacted us. And I do feel a bit hard done about what's happened there. We When we were doing preseason, when everything was like quite set, we looked like we were about to go into the season flying. We hit that first speed bump just before the cup game with our uh, winger leaving. And that's initiated the issues. Because not long after our um, our goalkeeper got injured, and then we had to again wait to the window to replace him as well. It's it's factors that we couldn't control because I mean, but it's football. Things happen out of the transfer windows, and then it is what it is. You, you got to get on with it. Us also, we couldn't replace uh, the players with the under seventeen because we don't have like under nineteens. It's um, it goes straight from under seventeens to first team. So. 16, 15 year olds would have to step up and play. But obviously they had their own competition going as well and they were up for promotion in their competition. So they had their thing going and we kind of had to separate both things and we that is why it made it hard for us to maintain a season. We had we were very limited to what we could do as well. So I think we still did quite <laughs> we did quite a lot with what we had to be honest. And uh, a lot to it is because of what the work that Luis Figueiredo and the president and Kaki and Marcos and everyone did at the club. But you can't help but feel, especially when like individually, you know, you did literally everything you possibly could. You know, all the early nights, the nutrition, everything, everything was so micromanaged. It, it feels hard with the outcome. Life after football. Is it something that you think, I mean, you're, you're 24 you got hopefully decades of, of like playing. But, you know, is it something that you think about? Yeah, yeah, always. At the minute, I'm still focused on on as a player and seeing, pushing myself to, to go as far as I can. But naturally, I, I've always got, I'm always thinking about things, you know, and I'm always bouncing ideas. I bounce ideas off Molly all the time. And uh, it's, I've got my degree, so sports business and my master's in marketing. So that's an area of interest of mine. I think I would um, the way the way I've like the experiences I've had so with the media and everything as well. I think that's media marketing is a big industry of interest for me, especially in the sports side of things. But I I feel like I'd love the to experience being a sporting director as well, and naturally a progression for a player is always coaching as well. I do see myself more in the sporting director or director of football side of things, but there's a you know, I don't want to miss steps out. So there's a path to get there as well. And whether that's coaching or getting an experience quite early, that is like, it could be an ultimate goal as well. But, you know, step by step. And at the minute, the step is still playing. And then I can take the next step when the time comes.
Jose, I, uh, again, uh, I just want to say, and I'm sure I've said it to you, like you've you've been one of the one of the biggest supporters of the platform, and I just wish you the best um, for you to even even call me and say, look, to Brice, I'm 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 here. Um, just kind of let me know where and when. Um, you're a special human being, and we need a lot more hoses out there. So um, again, I just want to thank you. Uh, and uh, again, this is not the last time we'll be speaking. <laughs> honestly, it's it's as I said before. I love I love what you do, and honestly, I, I love being a part of it as well. And I I said to you even when I was in Finland, I was looking forward to every Sunday, and I was looking forward to being a part of it. I was looking forward to watching as well. So it's credit to you as well for all the amazing efforts that you've done with the platform, and it's amazing to see it grow. And honestly. I, I said it when we did the two, the last 2022 one. I was so excited to see how the platform grows this year, and I'm so excited to see the this like you getting all this success from it as well. Because I feel like you really deserve it as well, especially for the amount of effort you you, you put into it and the passion you put into it. I think when you do things with passion, it's uh, thing good things come to you. And uh, I really hope that 2023 is uh, a massive year for you. I'm so excited.